Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Off we go uh, into Matthew chapter 6. And so if you have a Bible, please feel free to open um, your Bible to that. If you're a user of the Bible app, I want to encourage you uh, to open up the app, find the live event. And uh, we have some uh, Bibles back there on the side of the tech booth if you would like to um, uh, get a um, hardback Bible. And if you need one that you can read and understand, feel free to take, take one of those with you. Matthew um, chapter 6. Did you know, in case you haven't seen the commercials, um, the cell phone providers of our land really, really want your business? Yes? Have you noticed this? Um, you go in to, um, or just listen to the commercials, and Lily from AT&T is trying to make sure that not just new customers, but existing customers can go in, and they'll even, what's the commercial like? The guy walks in, is about five, six, six foot tall, you know, and you're like, no, that's not happening. Um, they really want your business, uh, because we live in a, in, a, in a moment, a cultural moment, and an economic moment where um, they will offer anything, they will uh, say anything, they will do anything to get your business uh, because we have multiple choices. We have lots of choices. Uh, they will offer you a new this or a flashier that, or a, um, you know, you don't have to have a contract for this, or you do get a contract for that, but uh, you get a, a phone that can like take pictures of the moon and you can see the flag that's waving there. I mean, like you've got, you got all sorts of uh, options and benefits, and that's really what we're in it for. When we go looking, in fact, there are even websites that will help you choose either electric providers or wireless providers based on kind of your preferences. What I'm saying is um, there comes a moment when we have to choose our provider. And that's where Jesus is taking us today. So we're going to start in verse 25 of Matthew chapter 6, but I actually want to read verse 24 so that we're clear. No one can serve two cell phone providers. I'm sorry, masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and, spy, and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money or mammon. Along the way, somewhere, we have to choose, and we choose based upon how we understand the benefits that are coming our way. Jesus steps onto the scene and says, let's be clear about this. You cannot choose uh, to serve two. You have to choose one when it's all said and done. Verse 25, therefore. So everything that he's about to say is predicated upon what he has just said. Not two masters, folks. Just one. You hate one, love one, despise one, be devoted. You, not two, one. Choose your provider, God or worry. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious. Now, the, the word there, we won't go into all this stuff, but like the, the word there is, is not anxiety um, as, as is commonly used in our world today. It's a, probably a step lower than that. Um, so I, I'm going to use the word worry, even though my translation specifically says anxious. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life and you'll be, uh, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you'll put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. So I want to um, just pause there for a second because Jesus is going to invite us to believe some things. In fact, if you were going to title the sermon, I think that's probably what I would title it, what Jesus invites us to believe. He's going to invite us to believe some things, but I, I need to set aside some front matter first. So consider this the prologue, okay? Um, three questions in the prologue. Number one, is he letting me off the hook for work? What's the answer to that? No, 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 no. Oh, well, Jesus, uh, you said don't worry about things, and my life is more than clothing and food and stuff, so I'll just sit here. Drop it whenever you want to. 
uh, that's not how this thing goes, right? It's just not. Um, he, he is speaking to a group of people who work and work hard. Secondly, uh, what, what about uh, those? Let me just pause. Like Jesus is inviting us in that first one. He, he's inviting us to a kind of productivity that is apart from worry. Second question, what, what about those who starve to death? Christians, brothers and sisters, who would take this passage and go, hey, this is not my experience. And, and Jesus is very, let me say this, Jesus is very clear in other parts of the scriptures, in other uh, parts of the gospels. He's very clear about the brokenness in the world and the radical kind of uh, consequences that it has on people. You'll hear uh, of wars and rumors of wars and famine and pestilence and da 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 da. He goes through the whole thing. He's not um, geopolitically unaware. He knows today that we have brothers and sisters in God's family who are facing starvation, who are um, uh, just on the, on the cusp of going over the edge past the, the, the point of survivability. He knows. But the context in which he's speaking is kind of the normal warp and woof of life. He's speaking to our everyday lives. He's not building a case um, for, for answering a theological problem. He's saying, hey, in, in our particular context of following, I want you to not worry. Thirdly, um, is he, the third question, is he making a medical diagnosis? And this is kind of what I was pointing to earlier. Anxiety in our day and age kind of has a, a medical uh, side to it. And, and I want to say, like, uh, there, there, there are two sides. Jesus is going to deal with kind of the spiritual side, um, emotional, psychological, relational side. He's going to deal with that. We'll see him talk here in just a minute where he addresses our faith. And he says, hey, you, you need to deal with this from your side on the, uh, at the point of faith. There's another side, though, this medical side. Jesus is not making a medical diagnosis here, okay? Um, there is a medical side where things get out of whack in your body, and uh, it creates all sorts of uh, problems and pathways and things that you have to either uh, uh, get some help with or um, undo, learn to undo. And, and what I'm saying to you is, like, if that's you, go see a doctor, man. Like, get some help. Jesus put very smart people on the planet to help you. So go get help. And if you need finding someone who can help you, we, we want to, we want to uh, do that as well. But we're going to kind of lock in on this side because this is the place where Jesus is addressing. Now, uh, that having been said, he knows that the two um, interact with one another. If you have emotional, psychological, relational, spiritual problems, can that affect your physical health? Somebody? Yeah. Absolutely it can. And if you're feeling terrible in your body or you've got things that are out of whack, chemicals, hormones, whatever, that are out of whack, can that affect how you are, uh, uh, where you are emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, relationally? Can it? Yeah. I, I said this to somebody the other, um, maybe two or three weeks ago who was in my office. Um, we were talking about uh, something along the lines and we were praying for this person. And I just said to him, hey, look, um, it's a little bit like making homemade spaghetti sauce. We got any homemade spaghetti sauce makers in the house? Okay, there's a few of you. Now, some of you are like, wait, 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 time out. Homemade spaghetti sauce? Like, that's what we do. Yes, homemade. This is not what we're talking about. I've never actually attempted this. I'm the crack the can, pour it in the thing guy. But apparently, there are other ways to do it. You take tomatoes, and there's water, and there's heat, and oregano, and some other spices, and, a, you know, and you like dip it, dip the spoon in the end, and you taste the just the end, because you don't want to shove the whole spoon in your mouth, so you taste just, and like you go through the whole thing. At a point in that process, you may be able to pick out a tomato, or go, look, there's a flake of oregano right there. But the truth is, is that you're not thinking about it 
tomato, oregano. You're thinking about it as spaghetti sauce. So this is how Jesus is approaching this. He knows that there is a complexity to um, worry that has these kind of two sides, the, the, the more spiritual, emotional, relational, psychological side, and the, the physical side. And he knows those two things interact, but he's over here addressing this. That's what he's after, okay? So front matter, uh, front matter out of the way. Let's, let's read 25 again. Therefore, because you can't serve two masters, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat uh, or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Today in our society, in our relational um, and cultural environment, I want to offer that worry today gets expressed in at least these four ways and see if any of them sound familiar. Number one, um, obsessing over things. My worry expresses itself through obsession. I'm always thinking about what's going on, be it money or a relationship or uh, a future, a preferred future or any number of other things. And, and when I mean obsessing, I mean like as soon as I'm not focused on the task in front of me, that's what comes to mind. I'm locked in here for just a moment. That's what comes to mind. So obsessing. Secondly, it also can, uh, and if you're going to um, diagnose yourself obsessing, it would be, the question would go something like this. How much can I have of whatever it may be? How much can I have of this preferred future? How much can I have of this uh, 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 resource, whatever? How much can I have? Secondly, hoarding. Um, and I'm not talking about like the, you know, show that is on TLC or whatever. I'm talking about like just generally asking this question, how much of this that I have can I keep? And what do I need to do to like safeguard this thing? Where's the wall that I can build? That kind of thing. Hoarding. How much can I have? How much can I keep? Thirdly, hurrying. Worries, worry expresses. It's one of the reasons we shop the way that we do. Yes? Nobody said amen to that, I see. But I, I know we brought this up a few weeks ago, but I mean, the truth is, is that we're, we're now frustrated that Amazon takes two days. Like we live in Houston. They've got a del big old honking delivery thing right up there at 288 in the Beltway. Get it here one day, people. Same day, even better. And as soon as they start delivering same day, we'll be mad at one day delivery. That's the truth. And you go to order your groceries or whatever you pick up curbside. And you're like, hey, I'm choosing this because this is the window that I have. You're like, oh, I don't have that window available. What, are you, what is wrong with you people? Hire more people to get my stuff to me. Hurry. Worrying express is hurry. Something along the lines of how quickly can I get it? And lastly, enabling. Worry gets expressed as enabling. How easy can I make it? How easy can I make it for myself? How easy can I make it for my kids? How easy can I make it for this other person? And it's not that making it easy uh, is a particularly bad thing, but there are times when God wants us to do hard things precisely because they're hard things and they will shape us. Enabling. Worry gets expressed as, as those things. So Jesus is going to launch into a pattern of teaching here. He's going to invite us to three things, okay? Invite us to believe three things. And the, the pattern is going to go like this. Consider this. Now, believe that. Here we go. You ready? Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. So the first thing we're going to be invited to is to think about birds. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? So the invitation, number one, is to think about the birds, okay? Here's what I want to say to you. God takes care of the smallest, mess-making birds. That's what he does. Now, this is, this is uh, I mean, you, just, you think about Jesus out there teaching. Flock flies over. He's like, hey, just, just look at them. Think about them. Does God take care of them? Yes, he does. And they are small and they make messes. Does anybody else relate to this? My, uh, my oldest, I think it was last weekend, um, washed his car, did a great job, all clean, everything's well, good shape, good shape. Um, I come home uh, the very next day. And I walk in and I'm like, son, where did you park? He goes, I know, I know. Because a bird or, or an entire flock of birds has visited his thoroughly clean car. It was clean, Dad, and now look. I, mean, oh, I get it. It's going to rain. It'll probably be okay. You know, so again, small, mess-making. I'm sure none of us can relate to that. And I just want you to hear, God takes care of the smallest and of the mess-making birds. And, and then he asked the question in verse 27, And which of you, by being anxious or worrying, can add a single span to his life? Here's the question. Um, is there anything in you uh, that when you worry, it actually improves your life? Does it improve your life to worry? That's what Jesus is asking. And the answer is pretty obvious. No, it doesn't. Now, I pulled these right off the American Medical Association side. It does help you if you need an increased heart rate, heightened sensitivity to things, to external stimuli. Does anybody, when you start worrying, like all of a sudden it's way too loud or way too bright or anybody else? Yes? If you need heightened sensitivity, maybe you could worry. If you want an upset stomach, that would help you. Increase, increase blood pressure, um, joint aches, fatigue or headaches. Any of those are physical ramifications of worrying. And that's only the physical side. Can you imagine how that stuff expresses itself relationally? Does it improve your life to worry? Do you get a better deal out of that? When you choose worry as your provider, does the thing that it offers, it, is that better? It's not. So Jesus says, consider this. Now, 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 believe this. At the very end of verse 26. Are you not of more value than they? These small little insignificant animals that are prone to make messes. God values you more than them. If God takes care of them, he'll take care of you. Why? Because he values. So believe this. Believe that you are valuable to God. I just want to say to all of you in here and all of you watching online, you are valuable to God. He created you. You were created by God. He knit you together inside of your mother and you were created by him. Secondly, um, you were not only created by him. Colossians 1 said you were created for him. So you're put on the planet with a purpose. For all of you younger folks in here, you're still at the, at the beginning part of the story of your life. You were created for a purpose. For all of you older folks in here who are um, in those last chapters of your life, listen, retirement doesn't mean that you're kind of um, done here and God's done with you. You were put on the earth for a purpose. And for all of you in between... The 
the young people and the older people in those middle sections where you feel like all I'm doing is juggling kids and schedules and driving like a taxi driver. You were created for a purpose. God made you for a purpose. And what is that purpose? It is to know him. It is to know him, to be in relationship with God. You are valuable to God so much so that he wants to draw you in to a relationship with him. You were created by him. You were created for him. And listen, you matter to him. The psalmist says, God knows our frame. He knows us. And even the hairs, Jesus, later in the Gospels, even the hairs on your head are numbered. The, the gray ones, the one that the color didn't quite reach, the the ones that are just about ready to turn loose because you've got those kids that you're running around like, you're valuable to God. You are valuable to God. So consider the birds and the belief that if God takes care of those insignificant animals, that God will take care of you. He will. Second invitation. Verse 28. And, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Don't, don't worry about your clothing. Consider the lilies of the field. Verse 29. Um, yet, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And so what I want to tell you is this. Um, when we are invited into this, we are invited into not only considering the birds, but also considering the flowers. Now, we're in Texas, so I just want to go ahead and um, put the full Texan spin on Matthew 6, verse 28. Why are you worrying about your clothing? Consider the blue bonnets. Consider them. Just look at them. How they grow. They just show up. They don't toil. They don't spend. Yet I tell you, even, so, even Solomon, just think of the richest person that you can possibly think of. You know, p- pick an oil person or a tech person or even Elon Musk in all of his glory is not clothed like the Texas Blue Monnets. Let the church say amen. 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 Consider the flowers. God is unrivaled. He is unmatched in his workmanship. That's what he's saying. God is unmatched in his work. That's what he invites us to consider. And then the follow-up question comes out of verse uh, uh, 30 there. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive, tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you of little faith? Oh, you of little faith. So does God somehow along the way, does he get stingy? Or does he somehow start lacking? Does he experience lack? Oh, God, I really need you to come through for me here. I, I, I consider the blue bonnets. Thank you so much for that. Um, but I re- and, like, and you roll up to God. And you're like, God, I need this. And God's like, oh, I'm a little short today. How about tomorrow? Or, you know what? I just don't feel like it today. Stingy? Is he stingy? Does he experience lack? What's the answer to that? No. No, no, no. The, the fear that gets associated with that, that we then um, kind of project on God or assign to God, goes something like this. It's the same fear expressed two very, very different ways. But the fear is, if I, don't care, if I do not take care of myself, nobody else is going to. If I don't care for me, nobody else is going to. It expresses itself one of two ways. Number one, um, I don't need somebody to take care of me. 
I am a self-made man. I'm an independent woman. However you want to say it, I don't need someone to take care of me. The other way that that gets expressed is I can't count on somebody to take care of me. Both of these are learned. Both of these are learned. But it's the same fear. It's the exact same fear. Some of us grew up in houses where somebody would say something and then they would do the opposite or absolutely not come through. So we learned pretty early on, I can't count on anybody else to take care of me. Some of us grew up with a kind of empowerment that says, hey, you can do whatever you want. And we did. And somehow, some way, it worked out for us. I don't need anybody to take care of me. It's the same fear. If I don't take care of myself... Nobody else will. And God comes along. Jesus speaks to us here. And here's what he says. Believe. Like, look at the blue bonnets. Now believe this. God will provide for you. He will. God will provide for you. He's neither stingy, nor does he lack. And this is where he says at the end of verse 30, um, Will he not uh, much more clothe you, O you of little faith? He's saying, hey, this, is, this, this part right here. Yes, it's a big complex issue. This part right here, this is, a, this is a spiritual thing. He will provide for you. He wants to invite us to believe that. And I, I say that um, to say there are times when we see Jesus doing exactly this. We see him doing exactly this. We see him providing for people whole group out on a hillside and uh, they go, golly, we've been here three days and man, oh man, it's good. this is Matthew chapter 14. Uh, going to get pretty dicey here because these people are going to get hangry. Um, and it, what, what do we do? Do we call the local, uh, you know, Tex-Mex joint or is there a barbecue place around the corner? Or like, what do we do? Jesus says, well, what do you have? Uh, well, there's some fish and some bread. Eh, that'll be fine. And then what does he do? He starts providing so much so that these thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people are cared for just like blue bonnets in a Texas field. He just does it. God will provide for you. He just does it. Now, I guess maybe here's a parenthesis for just a second. If all you want from him is provision, that's a problem. You, you don't get to cast Jesus in your own terms. They tried that in John chapter 6. It didn't work out uh, too well for them. Okay, so invitation number two, consider the flowers. Look at the blue bonnets, and they believe that God will provide for you. Here's a third um, invitation. Look at verse 31. Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles. Now, when you hear Gentiles in the Gospels, in Gentiles in the Gospels are those who don't know God. When, when, uh, for the Gentiles, he says, seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Gentiles, seek after all these things. So Jesus says, consider the birds. Look at them flying over. Hey, look at the blue bonnets. Amazing. Now, let's talk, think about those people who don't know God. What do they obsess over? What do they obsess over? And th- th- this, is, this is what Jesus invites us to. He reminds us that God provides what others seek. And if you want to put a different word there, you could put obsess. God provides what others obsess over. Here in the very next verse, we'll catch this next week. But you, you seek first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6, Seek, same word. Gentiles seek after this stuff. You seek the kingdom. God will take care of the rest. That's basically how it goes. God provides what others seek and what others 
obsess over. The question would go something like this then. Does does God not see the world that I'm living in then? I mean, there are all sorts of things to worry about. There are all sorts of things to obsess over. There are all sorts of challenges. There are all sorts of things rolling around out there. There are all sorts of obstacles. There are all sorts of stuff that is coming our way. Does God not see my world? And what's the answer? Yes, he absolutely sees your world. He knows that you get to get up tomorrow and go to work. He does. He knows that there there are things that will happen this week to you. He knows what's going on. He absolutely sees your world. He knows what is happening. In fact, he's so in touch with your world that remember how he taught you to pray? Our Father, the one in the heavens, hallowed be your name. May your name be the treasure. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us today. Well, uh, excuse me. Uh, forgive us for our sins. And then he says this. Give us today our daily bread. Think about how nitty gritty that is. I need today what you will provide for me today. Would you please Give it to me. He taught us to pray that God would provide. Of course he knows what's going on in our world. And, and I think pastorally, it is good to be honest with God. It is good to set our frustration or angst or worry or whatever upon this. And when we do, God's not scared. First Peter 5 verse 7, cast all of your anxiety upon him. All the stuff that I'm worried about today, all the stuff that I'm going to be worried about tomorrow, all the stuff that um, is okay to you know kind of be concerned with and all the stuff that's dumb and I shouldn't be concerned. Cast all of it on him. Why? Because he cares for you. That's what the Bible says. Jesus cares for you. And so he sees our world. He knows what's going on. And I just wonder, I wonder pastorally, if some of those things that we set before God, actually, if we're not careful and if we don't let him deal with us in this area, if it actually makes, if it puts God in a bad light, it's the Gentiles who obsess about these things. I don't have to obsess about him. I have a father and he cares for me. That's what it says. The Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly fathers, your heavenly father knows that you need them. And that, that's what Jesus invites us to believe. Hey, consider all the people who don't know God. And then think about this. Believe this. Your needs are seen by God. Every one of them. All of your life is laid open before God and he knows exactly what you need. And there are times when out of his abundant mercy to us, he will delay this so that we learn to trust him in some ways. And that's mercy, folks. It's not God being mean. And then there are times when God comes through just in the right time. Have you noticed that he's never late, but he's hardly ever early? Have you noticed this? And there are times when deep, deep down inside of us, there's something. There's just something. And God, out of his kindness to us, gives us, sees that need. And then he gives us that something. I'll just, I'll give you this small example. Uh, In 2014, things were um, pretty crazy in our family. And uh, we had a pretty bad health situation, pretty rough deal for a while. Some of you were around for that. Um, we spent, um, weeks upon weeks in the, um, ICU at Texas children with one of our kids. My wife, I think was in the waiting room watching uh, TV or passing time or who knows what was happening at the time. But, um, I saw a commercial for Nutella. 
Anybody? Nutella? Okay, are we fans here? I'm just making sure, like Nutella, like that's a big, that's a thing. It's a good thing. God gave it to us, and we say amen for Nutella. Listen, hospital food is not Nutella. That's what I'm saying. And so somewhere along the way, um, you know, she's just like, hey, Nutella. Somebody rolls up the next day with a little care package. Anybody? There's Nutella in it. She didn't say anything. They're just... Sometimes God not only sees kind of the big things, even the smallest things, and out of his kindness to us, he just reaches down and goes, hey, listen, the Gentiles obsess over this thing. Those who don't know God, they don't have a framework for what I'm about to do for you. But watch this. Watch this. I see what you need. Now, when you, when you put those three belief statements together, the thing that Jesus invites us to believe. I just want to set these three things before you. Number one, you are valuable to God. He values you. Number two, he will provide for you. He will. And number three, he sees your needs. God values you. He will provide for you. He sees your needs. And when you put those three things together, folks, that sounds a lot like the gospel. God looks down on you and he sees you in all of your brokenness and all of the stunning stuff that is in your life, all the stuff that if you vomited it out, people, you are convinced that people would run away and certainly God would run away. He sees that and he goes, I still value you. So much so that he sent Jesus, the very one giving us these words right here, the very one inviting us to believe these things. He sent Jesus to die in our place and for our sins and then rise again to give us life. He values you. He saw exactly what was going on in your life, the the deepest part of this brokenness. And he said, hey, I'm going to make provision for you. There is no way that you could dig out of this situation. You need somebody to step in to your world. I'm going to make provision for you. Enter Jesus. I'm going to make provision for you. Jesus is that provision. And I see the deepest needs of your life. I know, I mean, past Nutella and past what you think is important and past all the other stuff, I I can crack all of that stuff open and I can go deep down to the deepest part of you and I see that you desperately need the kind of forgiveness and freedom that you will not find on your own or in this world. I am providing for you, Jesus, because I see your needs. Because I value. Now, folks, that's a God worth committing to. That's a God worth surrendering to. In our moment here, and that's a God worth remembering. It's a God worth remembering. So I want to invite you to just create some space. Maybe physically you need to close up and and, uh, move some things out of the way, and we'll celebrate communion together. What we are going to do is remember that God values you, that God will provide for you, and that God sees your needs. So I'm going to invite us for a moment here to pray. And when we um, get settled here, uh, I'll lead us through communion. The guys are going to come back up and lead us in a song and stuff in just a moment. But I wanted to give us a moment of quiet here so that we can be ready. So we can be ready to celebrate communion.
as you're preparing your heart, maybe you take a moment and reflect on those things. God values me. God will provide for me. God sees my needs. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he had his followers in a room. He took bread and he broke it and he passed it around to him and he said to them, this is my body which is broken for you. What they didn't understand in that moment was something really important. They would physically put eyes on it the next day. The body of Jesus would physically be broken, pierced, beaten, shattered. And it was out of that brokenness that came our wholeness. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness. We might experience the genuine goodness of God in our lives. First Peter says this this way. He carried our sin in his body on that tree. That's how much he values you. That is how intent he is on providing for you. And that is how intimately he sees and knows your needs. Let me pray for us and we'll take communion together. Father, would you in this moment remind us of what is most important and through this physical action, remind us of your spiritual work in our lives. We've already seen it in baptism today. Brokenness made whole. Life coming out of death. We've seen it symbolized in that. In this moment, we remind ourselves that this is true not only for a person in the water, it's true for us as well. You value me. You will provide for me. You see my needs. Thank you, God, for that reality. Make it fresh for every one of us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. If you haven't figured this contraption out, there's a little film thing on top, and you can get the wafer out of that. The body of Jesus was broken, that you and I might be made whole. Let's eat. Let's remember. He took a cup, and he passed it around. He said, this is... My blood, which is shed for you, it's the blood of the new covenant. No longer do we have to relate to God on the basis of the things that are done in a temple on our behalf. Jesus has done it one time for all time. There's no bull, no goat, no Old Testament sacrifice that's going to take the place of what he's done. We don't have to do it year after year after year. One time for all time, covering all sins, covering all of my sins, covering all of your sins. If you're a follower of Jesus today and you drink this cup, you are remembering that you are a forgiven person on the basis of what he has done. Let's drink and let's remember. Amen and amen.